Today is the 30th day of June, the final day of June in 2023. And welcome everyone to the Chapter 49 podcast. We appreciate the fact that you have taken some time out of your busy schedule to listen or watch this podcast. Uh, we try to keep it weekly. Uh, we we don't make every week. We will likely not be recording next week for the July 4th holiday. But one person we always have with us when we have a podcast, Duncan Childs, our chapter president for Chapter 49. Welcome once again, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. So we, I, I, it's very good that you are here with us and you are in your office in downtown Indianapolis. But if you were, uh, if we were recording from your home, we probably would not be recording, would we? Uh, we might be recording, but I would be awfully, awfully dark right now. We're going on about hour 18 without power after uh, some severe storms blew through here uh, in our area, actually from Iowa through Indiana, Illinois, and uh, they've gone on to towards the East Coast. Uh that happened yesterday. So we've, we've been without power for quite a long time, along with the, about 50,000 of our closest friends in the metro Indy area. Yeah, and this is one of those situations where it was a wind event. There were not tornadoes. It wasn't torrential rain. There was rain. But it was the severe straight-line winds that caused all these problems. And that can be particularly an issue when you have power outages. And, and Duncan, you're out of power at home, and—, and uh, the local power company has told you, well, we'll get everybody up sometime next week. Yeah, we're hoping we're on the uh, the early end of that curve rather than the later end. But we can only, you know, at this point, we're at the mercy. The folks from AES, Indiana, uh, who locals might know formerly from IPALCO, um, you know, they do a great job. And, I mean, you know, they're trying, and this is a pretty widespread event, like you said, the uh, – the winds knocked a lot of stuff down. It's not localized like a tornado might be. And so it's it's going to be a tough haul for them to get everything fixed. But I know they're out there working, and uh, the sooner they can get everybody up, the happier everyone will be. And this might be a good time to remind people what the process would be. If you're on telework, you're working at home, you're scheduled to do that, and uh, power is out, and you really don't have a good idea when the power is going to come back on in your home where you're scheduled to work, what do you just a reminder as to what employees do in a situation like that? Yeah, if there's a situation uh, where you're, like you said, the power's out or you have that type of situation at your telework location, but your POD, your post of duty, is open, then you're going to be needing to contact your manager because your manager is going to tell you one of two things either A, come on in and work from there, or B, do you want to take annual leave? Those are the only two options when you're working uh, telework. Now, if it's a situation where, you know, the let's say I work every day for, out of the federal building here in Indianapolis. If the federal building had been without power and my home uh, had been without power as well, then I would have been able to take weather and safety leave because the same conditions that knocked me out at home also would have knocked out my post of duty. But at this point, you know, the post of duty, we, we still have electricity here in downtown Indianapolis, so um, the office is still operating. So it's a good, like you said, it's a good reminder for folks on what to do if they do have these types of situations. Okay, let's, let's get down just to our issues of the day. The first one I would like to talk about has to do with the political calendar. 
you know, we are what, well over a year, well over a year away from a uh, any kind of presidential election. Uh, early next year, we're in 2023. It's early 2024 when the presidential primary elections begin. But, Duncan, it seems like every time we have a presidential election, and maybe it's the press, maybe it's just the political system, everyone starts talking about the next election, who's going to run, who's not. And we have a pretty good idea who is going to run for president in 2024, who all the candidates will be. But there's one candidate that has uh, singled out the IRS and some other federal agencies. So I'd like to give you a chance to comment on that since we have so many people watching and listening who are working for the agencies targeted by this particular presidential candidate. Uh, What do you make of all this? Yeah, I'm not going to mention any candidates and names, anything of that nature. But, you know, when you hear somebody, a candidate that's running for president, mention that they want to abolish the corrupt IRS. Well, first off, that gets my dander up quite a bit because I know an awful lot of folks, you know, here locally and across the country, and every single one of them is hardworking, busting their butts. I don't know of anybody that's corrupt. So that kind of thing really irritates me. But then it's talking about, you know what, the IRS, depending upon which study you look at, collects anywhere from 93 to 95% of all the federal income that comes into the United States government. Let's go ahead and abolish that. That's a fantastic idea. What are we going to replace it with? Oh, we'll, we'll just go with a flat tax. That'll work perfectly. Oh, so a flat tax of what? How much is it going to be to hit this figure. You know, and you listen to these figures and it's anywhere from 20 to 25% would be needed just to take care of the federal taxes that would be taxed on everyone. So it's, it's just a situation where, you know, they don't tell you, they don't get into these details. They just want to make it happy to say, okay, we're just going to boss those mean folks at the IRS. You're still going to need a tax collection agency, whatever you do. And I've got to tell you for my money, And for, you know, we're well known across the world. The IRS is one of the best and fairest and, uh, you know, most dedicated workforce in the world when it comes to this type of thing. I saw a film many years ago. Uh, I can't remember how long it was, but it was was called A Taxing Woman. It was a foreign film. It was a Japanese film that was with, with, you know, English subtitles. And it was all about... The tax collection, it was a fiction, but it was about it, the tax collection agency in Japan. And, Duncan, you wouldn't believe all the stuff that happened there. They were they would bring in bulldozers and t- tear walls down looking for people that are cheating on their taxes. I mean, uh, yeah, this would make IRS look like, uh, you know, nothing. And, and another, thi- another thing is, uh, you know, the, the, an expert years ago when the f- people had talked about this often about you know, eliminating the IRS basically said the only way you can eliminate the IRS is to change the name. You're still going to have to have a tax agency. I don't care where you call it, what you call it. Even if you had a flat tax, but I'd be surprised if we ever came up with that as a, as a country. But if we ever did, you'd still have to have a tax agency. You'd still have to have collection. People would be arguing about what is and is not income. So it's not like it's, it's you know, talk to somebody who, deals with state sales taxes, 
And you would think that's very simple, right? Just you know, a certain amount of money off of everything you 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 buy. But you would be. Uh, I mean, I've done small business workshops where the states come in with me, and I the complexities that you come up with, which is mostly a burden on the business community, by the way, in small business, uh, is it's just incredible the kind of complexities and, and, and issues that they have. So this idea that we are, yeah, that it's corrupt, you know, show me the, 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 the actual prefix. Nobody can really come up with that. I mean, we're a big agency. We're not perfect. We're human. Things happen. But to say that we have some kind of widespread corruption, no one's ever been able to, to document that. So um, I guess what we have to do is un- just have a thick skin, Duncan, and realize we're always going to be targets in a, a political season, right? And that's exactly it. Yeah, you raised a great analogy with the sales tax because that's a very that will be a very similar type situation. But yeah, we're for those of you who are newer to the IRS, this is something that happens every single election cycle. There's always people that uh, want to paint us as the villains, as the bad guys, and do something about us and reduce us, or you know, tear out our enforcement or things of that nature. I give you, for example, the widespread myth of the 87,000 armed IRS agents that are going to be bursting down doors, which is, you know, some of the biggest fiction you'll ever see because that isn't anywhere close to how it actually is. So we just have to take this stuff with a grain of salt, move on, absolutely contact your uh, representatives and your senators to let them know, you know, that you're unhappy with being characterized like this and that you know, the agency does need its proper funding, so we can do the work for the American people, but don't don't lose any sleep over this type of thing. You always find it, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, it's interesting, our elected officials always believe that everybody should obey the law and the law should be enforced unless it's a tax law. <laughs> and who creates those tax laws? The IRS doesn't. No, it's the uh, United States Congress and the president together do that. So, by the way, you know, we talked uh, last couple of podcasts about uh, what's happening with the IRS budget, excuse me, budget and the IRS budget before a House of Representatives committee. They wanted to, to slash the IRS budget. It wasn't just the IRS budget that came in for these cuts. NTEU represents a number of federal agencies and some of the agencies that would also face major cuts under, you know, the, the House of Representatives and their committee system and their, their budget markups, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the rest of the Treasury Department outside IRS, the Bureau of Fiscal Service, and the Federal Communications Commission. I mean, these are all key agencies that do extremely important work in the American economy. And, and uh, the idea that those agencies would also face cuts, again, represented by NTU, so we know them well, uh, just makes no sense to me. I, it, it just is fascinating to me that, you know, the way that you never really want to see how the sausage is made, um, because this is a perfect example of it, where they talk about, well, you know, we need to cut the budget. We need to do this. And, okay, let's not talk about, you know, making sure that everybody's adequately taxed since we've had these massive tax breaks um, over the previous decade or so. You know, let's go ahead and just try and cut the agency that are providing services 
to the American people. That's what I never understand. And I know you have that same difficulty in saying, you know, there are people that are doing these jobs to help people, and yet we want to cut them. So it just makes absolutely no sense to me. And I know National President uh, Tony Reardon and National Vice President Doreen Greenwald have been in contact with, uh, you know, with folks all up and down the hill in the different agencies to try and do a coordinated push to make sure that we get adequate funding for those agencies that we represent. Let's uh, turn this uh, back to IRS. Um, we're waiting as we record this. By the time you watch or listen, you already, already have the, the ruling. The Supreme Court set to rule on student loan relief, but yet there's a student loan relief issue uh, for IRS employees. There's some good news on that front. Explain what's happening there. Yeah, the SLRP, because of course we are the IRS, so we have to have an acronym for everything. The Student Loan <laughs> Repayment Program is basically now being extended until July 31st. It was set to end today, June 30th, but it's set to end um, now July 31st. And this is for anybody who, you know, you want to take a look at what type of position you are in, because it, for hard to fill positions, uh, there will be, you know, if you do have some student loans, and have been in particular programs for a number of years, there will be an option for the federal government to repay that. This is something NTU's been pushing for a long, long time. Um, I can't tell you how long, uh, because we feel that people as public servants should get this type of a benefit. So, you know, if you're interested in this at all, you know, take a look in the IR uh, homepage, IRS homepage, SLRP, Contact your, um, you know, union representatives out there. They'll have information on this. And again, it's for certain positions in the IRS, what they call hard to fill, uh, that are going to qualify for this. But it could be a great benefit for you and your family if you do qualify and absolutely worth filling out the forms for. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I think this this is correct. That IRS uh, has been uh, un finally, I think, seen the light on the value of this, but you have to be in a certain job. And NTU has been successful in uh, convincing IRS to expand that list, uh, which is, is, is a good sign. But you do have to meet some criteria. It has to be a certain job, and you have to be in that job a certain amount of time, correct? Yep, and you have to be in a certain uh, student debt repayment program to qualify. Some of them do, some of them don't. Um, not being a former, not being a student for a long time myself, I couldn't give you, you know, the exact things on that, but the information is out there and we as uh, union representatives, if you need assistance, can get our hands on that pretty quick and, uh, and help you out. Yeah. As the uh, father of twin daughters, age 29, and they still have some student loan debt, it's not a large amount, but uh, any any kind of relief is, is is certainly welcome. That's for sure. So again, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry. That's uh, been extended to the end of June. Was to have uh, expired at the end of June. Now it's the end of July. So that's been extended of an entire month. And again, if you have any questions on that, contact your local chapter in Indiana. Talk to any of your local stewards or, or Duncan Giles, and uh, you know we can sift through your certain your specific situation. Look at what the certain facts apply to you. And, and try to see what, if anything, you might be eligible to take advantage of here. It's, it's, a, it's a great program. We wish it was uh, for everyone, but it's, uh, it's just for those certain 
types of job classifications that are hard to fill, as, uh, as Duncan mentioned. Well, let's move on to another issue, and uh, this is kind of a good and kind of a bad situation. I say it that way because we're going to have an extra pay period for leave purposes this year. Uh, so there are those people. You know, it seemed, Duncan, it seemed to me like I was dealing with either one type of employer or another when I was a union rep and even a, a manager. I had people who never took leave and had to make sure they scheduled their use or lose. Then you had people who seemed to never have a leave balance. Well, in this case, if you have these people who are uh, basically uh, always you know, taking use or lose leave toward the end of the of the year, you have to get it scheduled for them. There is an extra pay period, which means there is an extra amount of leave you want to make sure you schedule. So it's a little confusing. Uh, try to sort this out for us. Explain what's happening. Yeah, it does. Uh, because of the fact that the pay periods don't match up exactly with the calendar year, uh, some situations, some years you have this type of situation. And basically what happens this year, there's still going to be 26 pay periods. You're only going to get paid 26 times, even though there is a 27th pay, you're either going to get four, six, or eight more hours of annual leave than you normally would have, depending upon how long you've been with the service. One to three years, up to 15 years, or more than 15 years for the eight hours. So you want to make sure that you plan that, especially if you're in a use-or-lose situation, because you're going to end up with an extra half, two-thirds, or full day's worth of leave that you're going to need to schedule for that you don't want to lose out on. So it's it's a little bit confusing, but the bottom line is there's going to be an extra, you know, extra vacation piece for you, annual leave, and but not an extra pay. Not a, not a 27th pay. It'll still be the same 26 pays. So, so there's been a little bit of confusion on that, and we just hope to clear that up. Yeah, and I, I, I hope it's not storm-related, but we lost you for just a, a few seconds there. So just to reiterate, if you're the kind of person that, that has to schedule use or lose leave, understand there's a little more leave to schedule. That's the bottom line, correct? Yes, that is. Okay. Well, uh, let me ask about something else. We have talked about this issue more than a few times on this podcast, and, and it's an issue that is not just a government employer issue. It's an issue that the private sector is seeing. And, and I think employers across the board are just beginning to understand the implications. And that's called an attrition rate. When you have employees, you, you go to all this effort to recruit the kind of employees you want to get them hired. You get them in the system. And so many employers say, okay, job done. Move on to the next thing. What we're finding out, Duncan, and, and this is particularly true of our SBSE division, Small Business Self-Employed Division in IRS, is that, you know, we have this hiring authority. We're hiring people as an agency, but yet once they're here, we tend to lose them. We have a very high attrition rate, which can be a very expensive thing to deal with because you've already got these people in the system. You're training them up and then they leave you got to go right back to square one and hire somebody new and start that from scratch. So explain what the attrition rates are in SBSC and what the implications are for, for any federal agency, particularly IRS. Yeah, as, as you said, there's a absolutely a big cost um, you know, to train people, especially new people coming on. But when you can't retain those people, 
and they leave, that that cost goes right out the window, and that can be tremendous. And we just got some figures um, recently from the SBSE division that showed what their attrition rate has been recently. Now, we don't know whether this is COVID or, you know, because this was these figures are coming in at the tail end of the COVID period. Um, but, you know, revenue agents, you know, they lost darn near a quarter of them. Uh, you know, and it only went higher for revenue officers, tax compliance officers, things of that nature. The folks who are in uh, call sites that deal with SBSE, it's much higher. And it ended up for SBSE to be about a 33% new higher attrition rate, which is absolutely horrendous. I'm sure it's as high or close to that in W&I. And I'm sure it's not even, you know, good in the other divisions as well. Hopefully it's not that high, but when you've got SBSE and WNI as the two biggest components and their attrition rates are at least a third, that that's not going to bode well for future hires, retaining people, continuing the training, getting the experience and keeping the experience that you want to have here. So we need to, you know, try and figure out how do we retain these people? What's, what do we need to do to be more proactive and try and do that? Because it's a different type of workforce than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And the IRS and the rest of the federal government uh, needs to adapt to that changing type of attitudes to make sure that we can retain people. The SLRP program is a great example. You know, we want to do things that are a little bit different that you have incentives for. You know, work-life balance has always been tough here at the IRS because there's been so much work and not enough people. So we want to make sure that we have, you know, a better work-life balance to not only attract but retain those new folks. Yeah, and, and that's uh, let me explore that for a moment, Duncan, because uh, IRS and the federal government are not the only sectors of the employment world in, in the United States seeing this. Because what and, and I read a lot about this, and, and based on the data and, and the people who are experts in this area and who crunch the numbers and so forth, what they're all saying is that in the new employee, you know, remember IRS hasn't had a mass hiring in a long, long time, for example. So all of a sudden, IRS is getting an influx of young people, not all, but the number of their young people, maybe just out of college or a few years out of college. And they have different expectations in the workforce that perhaps you and I had when we joined the federal government uh, uh, many years ago. And and I wonder, and, and maybe you can comment on this because you've been on a number of national teams. You, you've talked to executives who, um, who have an impact on this. Does the IRS understand the challenge? And do you think that as an agency, IRS is responding to the challenge of what the expectations are for new hires? That's the $64,000 question. It really is. Um, do I think the commissioner understands and gets that? I, I absolutely believe Commissioner Werfel does. Do the people below him? Um, I'm not sure. Our hiring uh, practices uh, are still very, um, very antiquated. Uh, I don't think that they're responsive to folks who do things in a newer way. And from my understanding, and I hear about this, is, you know, that they're going to be looking at, you know, making sure that they have folks in place that can, that can adjust. And that's what it's, it's going to take. 
it's going to take adjustments, you know, whether you're private sector, public sector, but specifically here, we're going to be talking IRS. It's going to be taking adjustments on how we onboard people, how we talk to people, how we deal with them, how we train them, and how we work to retain them. Because otherwise, we're going to continue in this very bad uh, cycle of, you know, a high attrition rate, which we literally cannot afford. Trying to think what it would be like, for example, if you were Google or Microsoft or any major corporation and you would lose one-third of your new hires in a year or two, could you even function as a company? Uh, That's a great question. And you would have to think that there would be questions being asked as to why the attrition rate is so high and what can we do to stop the bleeding. And I hope that they are having those types of discussions at a very high level in 1111 in Washington, D.C., in our IRS headquarters, because they're definitely needed. You know, and I've, I've, you know, I can tell you that National NTU and myself and many of our counterparts, my counterparts across the country have really talked to uh, executives, folks in our human capital office and our different divisions on how we need to start adjusting or this is going to be just a vicious cycle that keeps repeating. You know, it's interesting. You know, NT has been very involved in, in working on particular uh, programs. For example, the student loan program we mentioned before, like expanding that to the most number of employees possible under, under the law and restrictions that are out there. Uh, the uh, the recent program that the newest uh, contract has provided, which would be uh, the child care subsidy for lower income workers. But as time goes on, there's hope that can be expanded as other agencies have done once they have a cycle or two uh, with that program. Is it going to take incentives like that? I mean, there are incentives to being a federal employee. The health insurance program, taking your health insurance into your retirement and so forth, there are there are some pluses to be a federal employee. But yet, uh, uh, do you think uh, there are things that the agency could do uh, that NTEU can push them a little bit on, as, as I mentioned, and some of these other programs where NTEU has been instrumental in getting these programs rolling out? Yeah, there certainly are. And I can tell you that National NTU is talking to uh, IRS and Treasury um, at least weekly, if not more often, on doing some of these things to try and improve, you know, being able to come into work. What more can we offer? What more can we do? How can we make it easier for them to come on? How can we make it a better training environment for them? How can we make sure that we are competitive in keeping them so we don't lose them within a year or two or three uh, when we've invested all this training in it? So I know that these discussions have been and will continue to be happening just because we can't afford to quit pushing. Because without us pushing, I'm not sure what IRS would do. Well, it's time for our final comments, and I'm going to to start the final comment uh, cycle on this podcast. In 1986, I became a new, I I don't know, we called them taxpayer assistance uh, uh, service reps, CSRs, whatever. I was about to be hired and and be trained up and coached into being a person on the telephone who helped folks who called IRS for help. That was in 1986. And when you start that job, you tend to have a a few acting managers. My first full-time manager when I worked in toll-free was a 
lady by the name of Mary O'Donnell. Now, I'll tell you something about Mary O'Donnell. She expected a lot of her people. She was tough on you, but she was always fair. And I learned a lot working for her because she she had a gift that a lot of people don't have in management or anywhere. She listened. And if you had a case to make, she listened carefully and she considered everything you had to say uh, professionally. And often she listened and, and did something about it. And I always respected that about Mary and, and felt that she was one of the best people I could have had as a first manager working in the toll-free area of the Internal Revenue Service in Indianapolis. So yesterday, the day before we record this podcast, I I went to Mary O'Donnell's funeral and uh, saw just what her family thought of her and how what a wonderful family person, grandmother, aunt, mother. I think she has one great-grandchild at her death, but I found, uh, you know, not only, you know, all that about her that I hadn't known, but also had a chance to see a number of fellow retirees that I had known at IRS and some I had not seen for several years. So Mary had a way, even when she was gone, to bring us all back together and, and have some time and talk about old times. It was, a, it was good there, but it was good to celebrate the life uh, of a woman who gave so much to public service during her time. Uh, she later became uh, uh, one of the, the top managers uh, in the toll-free sector and uh, worked before that uh, as a very good tax auditor when we called him that in the old days, uh, dealing with individual taxes, doing audits, but people who came into the office. She was well known as one of the best at that job. So Mary O'Donnell is someone I'll never forget. She's one of those people at IRS that made that workplace a better place and developed a number of people within her group to move on. And I think I, I benefited from having her as a manager. So it's good to remember the good people you knew at IRS. It's sad that she's gone, but uh, a celebration of a, of a wonderful life lived. Yeah, and the more Mary O'Donnells we have in IRS management, the better. Uh, I echo every one of your sentiments because I worked with her on many issues and found her to be great to work with. Uh, what I'd like to comment on is, you know, we're coming up on the July 4th holiday. By the time some of you hear this, you know, it may already be that. And it's a great time, you know, people talk about it. day off, you've got fireworks, you've got get-togethers, things of that nature. But, you know, go back to think about, you know, what started this, July 4th of 1776. This experiment in democracy really had not been done anywhere else at this time in this particular manner. And, you know, we continue to evolve and we have to continue to evolve as a democracy. We can't go to being an aristocracy, anything of that nature, plutocracy, where, you know, you've got few rich folks in. That's not America. America is for the people. That's what it was. That's what, you know, July 4th is all about, for the people. And we have to continue to be pushing on that and keeping that in our mind, you know, to make sure that this is someplace for all of us not just a select few, but for all Americans. You know, it's interesting. If you study history, you realize that those men, and they were all men who put their signatures on that Declaration of Independence, knew that if Britain won this this dispute, that they would all end up dead. They would be hanged as traitors. And when you hear the story of John Hancock, who wrote his signature in 
larger than anybody else because he wanted to make sure that the king saw that he did sign that document, that uh, this was a, a huge event in the history of the world because, uh, you know, basically uh, most of the world did not have anything close to what America was proposing to be. Now, we were not a perfect democracy or anything like that then, and we hadn't, we, we, it's the way forward we had a constitution or anything because we were fighting a, a, a basically a revolutionary war and we're big underdogs fighting the mightiest uh, army in the world at that time. So there's a lot of historical backdrop to that, and, and I think your comments are, are well-placed. Uh, we take some things for granted today, but in those days we were charting new territory, and uh, the people who signed that declaration took a huge risk. Never forget that. Duncan Jones, thank you. We'll never forget you, of course, as our chapter president and our partner in this podcast. Uh, if you would uh, like to be on a list of people to receive a, a heads up every time we have any kind of podcast, uh, video and audio, every time we have one, we could send out an email to you with the link so you can check it as soon as we have it posted for you. It's also uh, posted on our Facebook page. If you want to like or you'd like to uh, follow our Facebook page, just search under NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana, that exact phrase. Follow or like us, and we will also put those links up on that Facebook page as well. Again, we Duncan Giles and I take the time to do this podcast mostly every week. We'll miss next week, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, we do it because of you. You have actually taken the time and taken time out of your busy schedule to watch or listen. So in the meantime, please, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be kind.